Hello, hello, and welcome to my tennis journey. As you're listening today, it would be amazing if you could hit subscribe or follow if you haven't already had a chance. Now, today's guest has had an amazing tennis journey as a player, as a coach, and as a parent, and I loved hearing all about it. She's played over a hundred times for Derbyshire, played a pivotal role in helping young players start a lifelong love affair with the game and instilled a passion for our sport in all four of her children, who have all played to a high level. As you'll hear, this episode was recorded outside, so you may hear some of the beautiful birds of Derbyshire singing along in the background. I hope you'll agree it's a lovely little accompaniment. Our guest today is Jane Rushby, and I began by asking Jane when she first remembers picking up a racket. I first remember playing with my sister, I think, when I was at home at the farm. We chalked out a little concrete um, area that was would be now like a mini tennis court, dragged a bench across for a net and played with those little plastic bats that you have when you play at the seaside. Then we progressed to um, playing against the wall. As you know, at the farm there, there is a big wall and my elder brother, Dennis, and uh, my sister, Wendy, used to hit for hours against the wall. I love that so much that generations on the farm have played on that wall and there's not a better practice partner, is there? I think there's still the markings there that we used to aim for and one or two windows that have now been repaired that we... We broke fairly frequently. The great thing about it, though, is that it's a tall wall. I know that might sound yeah. funny, but here at Church Broughton, our practice wall is quite low, isn't it? Yes, and I it spend is. my time going around getting the balls from out <laughs> the car park. Whereas that one, it's got like the wall at the farm's got little slits and things that you can aim for, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it has. You can also practice your lobs, which have been very important to my game as the, as the years have gone There's on. There's nothing wrong with a good lob, Jane. Come on. Oh, brilliant. So was that, and so you started, you know, playing with with Wendy, you started playing on the farm. Yes. Um, Was it straight away a a lifelong love affair? Did you fall in love with the game of tennis straight away? I think I probably did, but we did play a lot of sports um, as a a sort of family and relations who would come round and play. Um, Certainly hitting against the wall, I used to love doing that and I would pretend that I would be... Um, in those days it might have been Billie Jean King but I remember my hero was at the time Chrissy Everett when she yes. hit the scene with the glamour and the jewellery that I would rattle I'd go and put a bracelet on before <laughs> I practised and rattle my wrist like she used to have to, to before she started to hit against her, her opponent so um, yeah Brilliant. God, I really, you know I remember those players from being young and yeah she certainly bought a a sophistication to the game, Chrissy Abbott, didn't she? And the most beautiful outfits as well, yeah. which probably inspired me to make my own tennis outfits at the yeah. time. Well, you ended up going into being a clothes designer, didn't yeah, you? So those did. love of that design of the clothes and the tennis <laughs> started at that early age. Now, I, I know, Jane, you know, nowadays children start having coaching you know, at a very early age. We've got our, you know, things like the LTA youth start. You know, you can be four yeah. years old and you're having coaching. What stage did your tennis coaching begin? Well, thinking back, the only coaching I'm fairly sure I started with was um, a a beginner's coaching scheme that started by, it was sponsored by either Green Shield or Prudential, I can't remember which, at what is now Derby Moore School. And I just went along with my rackets and what seemed to be hundreds of people, I think I was probably about 
nine or ten, which was very young in those days. And I got picked out to go for further siftings, which I didn't really understand what they were, and then progressed to getting selected for a group that went to um, Crystal Palace in London when no I was way. still at junior school. Crystal Palace! And I met... Andrew Jarrett and various other people within the county and I really didn't know very much about it but I knew that it would be good fun. But that was in London? That was in London, yes Unbelievable. it was. So you've had like a county shift and I was expecting you to go and you know I rocked up to Derbyshire Tennis Centre and you know there was there were those uh, honours boards on the wall but no Crystal Palace where Mr Jarrett's also, I mean unbelievable that you had to travel that far isn't it well that was just the sort of i think it, it was um, a national thing that had gone on all over the country ah. and several people from each county were selected at different age groups amazing do you know i would love jane to go and have a look at the list of players that went to <laughs> crystal palace and see what they ended up doing in the world i'm sure they all had incredible adventures both on the tennis court and off it is one of those things isn't it where the friends that you make at that junior age that, yes. that can stay with you for life I mean, oh, is, there, is there anyone on that, that journey that was from way back then when you were a junior that you were meeting that you're still friends with now? Oh, definitely. My best friend, who is now Julia, Julia Burton, we met when we played against each other for our schools when I was 11. And we decided after we played against each other that um, we would play together in the Nottingham county championships or it was an open tournament and we've played together ever since right through to we still play i played with her yesterday wow we played junior nationals together and i think i worked it out last night rob that we made about 75 appearances together for the county unbelievable so yeah, that is a really good selling factor, I think, with tennis. It's so important. It's funny because my doubles partner, uh, Richard Morley, yes, I moved I to well. the county when I was 13 or 14 and um, and I ended up, I don't know, me and Rich met at Lee Green. Not as uh, glamorous as Crystal Palace, but Lee Green. And oh, I, remember I went there him, as well. And he, yes. uh, he gave me a, a Bon Jovi tape to listen to and I first time I'd ever heard living in living on a prayer and uh, and he became my doubles partner in our first yeah. tournament was in Nottingham yeah. as well and uh, yeah I mean it's a friendship that's there for life isn't it and for those those parents who are listening you know when they're they're worried or concerned about results or whatever get it in perspective get it yeah. in perspective one of the talks that I do because I love being still involved with the under 18 team of which of course I go along with um, Katie Wilson who was one of the 11 year olds that I remember starting and being very proud of, of, of her um, performances on County Cup she is now the head coach that goes and I go with her and one of the things that we talk about to parents is that don't be frightened or for the kids to, to play against their friends you will forget very soon whether you win or lose but you won't forget how to be friends with them for the rest of your life and that if you are going to be in tennis a long time you're going to play these people lots of times so get it in perspective and the really important thing is that you make these friendships that will last you for I've worked it out it's almost 55 years so I really love that Jane I was so busy thinking about what you're saying that I don't know what the next question is we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll have to I'll have to look back at my notes but it is such a good point because 
you know, the friendship, I don't remember the likes of Rich Morley, whether I, I won or lost, apart from one match that I really do remember, but that's another <laughs> chat for another time. But one, I don't remember, but I do know that he's one of my best friends and, yeah. and that wouldn't have come if I hadn't played against yes. him, if we hadn't practiced together, yeah, we got exactly. better together. That's and, that's right. And it, I, I think, as certainly as a junior, I lost very many more matches against my friend Julia than I, I won, but that didn't stop me still trying to beat and I still do now if we were to play singles we just bash it out now but as soon as the match is finished you know you're still disappointed if you lose you're still elated if you win but it's only a part of the actual experience did did you manage to get that quite quickly Jane that whole kind of being able to take the defeats take the losses as a junior how were you as a junior in that respect yeah, I think I've always been fairly philosophical about that. I think being the middle child, I had an older brother who was always would beat me, a younger si- sibling uh, who I would probably beat, and lots of cousins who played. Yeah. So you very quickly got the perspective of winning and losing and moving on. Yeah. But it didn't stop you being trying to be the winner on that day. Oh. And then go off and play something else. Yeah. So tennis would be wrapped up in probably a game of football, a game of cops and robbers, yeah. just other things. So it wasn't the be-all and end-all of winning or losing, and, except for that minute when you finish the moment. match. And it is that, that phrase is a lovely phrase, and which is moving on. Yes, exactly. And, and that, 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 in terms of like, if you can move on after you've lost a tennis match, yes. then you can move on when things don't go well on your day-to-day life. Exactly. And it's yes. such an amazing skill to learn, isn't it? It is. And if you can learn that at an easy, at an early age, then you can take those skills to whatever, whatever scene you want to, whether it be a job interview that you yeah. don't get or yeah. Yeah. other things that you don't get selected for. Yeah and pick yourself up and off you go again. So important, I think. And I wasn't good at moving on as a junior, but maybe the fact that I learnt those lessons on that court at that early stage has stood me in good stead when, as you say, things haven't gone my way to move yes. on. Yes, so, yeah, that's right. How about highlights of your junior career, Jane? Is there anything that really um, stands out? Well, highlights, yeah. I, had a, I remember having a really good year in seems ages ago now I'm almost embarrassed to say 1971 when I think I won the junior and senior Derbyshire um, title I would only be 15 then and I got selected for county cut county week that year um, and one of my young um, partners went at the same time which was made it really exciting the same year I got picked for, I got selected to, to play for Junior, Junior Wimbledon, wow. which in those days was not the international tournament that it is now. You can cut that bit out. It's amazing <laughs> yes, in edit itself, that bit, Jane. Edit that Come bit. on, you were playing at Junior Wimbledon. <laughs> it was called Junior Wimbledon. It was actually the Junior Nationals under 18s. And it was held at the All England Club on wow. the clay court. So we all called it Junior Wimbledon. And in those days, you had to write a list of all your best wins and even your losses, good losses, if, if you can have such things, um, and tournaments that you'd win to get selected. And I put in an entry since I was about 13, and reject, reject. But when that year I actually got in and I was so excited 
Um, do you know, just on that though, we'll come back to it, but how amazing, what an experience to have to do your own entry. You are oh, your yes. own agent, you are your own public relations <laughs> person. Come on, you're selling yourself, aren't you? Well, I couldn't I couldn't imagine in those days my mum and dad sitting down and writing all no. my results. So it was up, up to us to do that. And ever, obviously everything was done manually then. Yeah. And then I played um, Sue Barker. Wow. Who... For our younger listeners, may only remember her as um, Question of Sport or, yeah. or a presenter that, that is on the television. But she was the golden girl of tennis in those days. Yeah. She was the only girl that had individual, le- almost the only girl that had individual lessons and coach that followed her around. And um, she, of course, she did go on to win um, the French Open and was semi finals at Wimbledon. Yeah. So in she was a class above myself when I played What can you remember about playing Sue Barker? What can you remember about that whole experience? I remember thinking I'd really excelled myself getting 6-2-6-3 loss (laughs) and I really did excel myself I felt as if probably I dragged her down to my level but but she had a golden smile even in those days and she she paid me a really nice compliment. After we'd spoken, after we'd played um, she then said "Um, oh I've seen you around the tournaments. I was really quite pleased here and she said your outfits are lovely she said you should go and I said that I'd made them myself and she said oh you ought to think into go- going into designing um, sportswear so I'm not sure whether that was a compliment or not really nothing to do well, with it, the tennis it is, though, but... isn't it? I mean it is a compliment in that that, that, that flair for design and you know <laughs> yeah. and like some of the the pupils that I play with now they have incredible ideas for innovations and yes. drills and things they're so creative so the fact yeah. that she's picked up on that flair and that's <laughs> Kind of what you went into as well. Yes, but it was. Yeah. She sounds like she was a nice lady as well as a winner. Huh? She was actually very nice. Yes, yeah. she was. She was very nice, but a class above me at that particular time anyway. Oh, well, what an achievement making it. Julia Wimbledon. Come on. <laughs> so, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on, on your playing career, Jane. Um, like to focus in on one area. County Cup. You made over 100 appearances for Derbyshire. How much did playing for Derbyshire in County Cup mean to you? massively and more and more so as the years went on I think my first year um, I was selected and it was a bit of a changing of the old, of the guard because there were four or five of the players who I thought were ancient playing for Derbyshire very good canny players and they would probably only be in their 30s or 40s <laughs> at the time but it seemed ancient as a 15 year old yeah yeah um, but I, I went along and lost every single match the very first year, which was, I, I, we could get to three sets, but I couldn't win that elusive one. The year afterwards, I played with, she was actually a, a very, very good squash player as well, Pauline White, and she had a very winning mentality. Yeah. You went on court and she told me how to play and I did what she said. Wow. And we won, I think it was 12 or 13 rubbers at wow. Bournemouth, 13 or 14, 13 matches yeah. at Bournemouth. And that was a real um, lesson because it was only a year later and obviously I'd improved a little bit, but I think it was more the fact that she really gave me an idea of how to think on court and that it wasn't just the the shots that you played it was how you played them when you played them and your demeanor on court yeah amazing and and 
you went on, I mean, from zero wins that first year, you moved on like we were talking about. You <laughs> we won did. 12 the next year. Yeah. How many appearances in total did you end up making for Derbyshire? Well, I worked it out last night and I think it's 126. <laughs> I had two babies that, that took me out of, of, yeah. of the um, equation. I had one injury when I broke my wrist and towards the end of the playing county week, I played two or three days, I think, for the last three or four years, where I would coincide playing, uh, going to watch the boys, my the, the boys who were playing, uh, my sons who were playing for the county, and playing a few days when the county captain was short of players. And I timed the days to, to suit. But when the boys got in 2006 to Division One, which was a T-spawn, I think we decided this was the time that I would... Uh, hang up my racket for the county week senior team yeah. and go and watch the boys but that opened up another um love affair yeah. of veterans tennis veterans tennis i mean we'll, we'll come on to it but 126 appearances is unbelievable <laughs> thank you unbelievable Mark. i mean ridiculously hard question coming right up but is the one that stands out is there a match a rubber a moment what was you know is there anything that stands out there were two or three years when it was playing with Julia, my friend, and we were, were not in the dizzy heights of Group 1. We were Group 3 or 4. But it doesn't matter where you are in those right. leagues. What matters is that you win as many matches as you can. And we'd got 14 out of 15 wins. Oh. But each year we were against... We Avon were in our division and Joe Drury in those days yeah. played. And she was just beginning to play professionally and she was just awesomely good and so we lost the, that elusive one against Avon every year and then the third year that she they'd got promoted I think and we were thinking oh this could be it this could be our year that we were going to get 15 and we played against two very canny players from the Scottish team um, who now do still play veterans tennis. And my friend Julia was lived in Scotland at the time, but still used to travel down yeah. to play for Derbyshire. And she knew these players and she said, don't take this for granted. These are really tricky players. And we lost our very first match no. on County Week in the third set. So that oh. meant that we were never going to get 15. And I nev <laughs> never did manage it. But, but 14 out of 15... Where and was, so was the only one you lost was to Joe Jury, yeah? Uh, for two years running, for yes, we did, we did. What do you remember about those matches against Joe Jury? Did you push her close? We did once in the in the final set. This was at Cromer, which you'll remember well. You have played it. lots of matches. We used to play out the third set, and I do remember a fifteen thirteen win now this was against joe drury but this is years before she was only about 13 then yeah. once she got to 14 15 she was just so awesomely good. good by our standard but uh, yeah the, the matches went on for ages and ages in those days brilliant brilliant but to win <laughs> i mean to win 14 out of 15 i know is an incredible achievement in itself isn't it it's so much tennis over five days you're playing three three set matches to win 14 out of 15 with one of your best mates just incredible yeah, the, the difficulty is also is that 
again, it's like day-to-day -day life. You have one little success. You've had a good win just before lunch. It might be the first round. You've then got to start again as if it's from scratch to win another. It's not like a, a no. tournament where you gain momentum almost. It's almost like every match uh, um, matters. And I remember arriving one county week and everybody practiced on the Sunday evening before the, the matches start on Monday. And the county captain saying, look at all these players. And you would be watching them all practicing. And she said, you have the potential to beat all of these players. Unfortunately, you also could lose to them all. Yeah. And that's, that is how County Week is. That's and that's so, County so Week, much it? of it is how gritty you are at yeah. actually picking yourself up and keep going and going back again and keep, keep the momentum going. So true, so true. So you moved on to Vets, seniors, it's various descriptions for it nowadays. Um, and you got picked for Great Britain. How was that? How did, did that feel? I did. That was fantastic. Um, the first time I played, I think, was 2007. And I won one of the um, national uh, veterans tournaments. There are about three that are the sort of main ones to play on. They're each on a different surface. And one of them is at Wimbledon. One of them is at the West Hans Club. And another is an indoor at um, Dudley, of all places. Um, and I got, I, I'd been playing for a year or two and my results were fairly consistent. And then that particular year I won the singles and doubles. And I got selected to go to Antalya in Turkey. Wow. And it, that's a fantastic venue because all of the age groups and all of the countries that, that played, that took part, played. And you had an opening ceremony wow. with all your GB tracksuits on and a, a, a bearer of the, of the, the flag. flag. Yeah. And it was like being at the Olympics. Amazing. It was a fantastic experience and very frightening. I remember I, I was the only one that travelled from Derbyshire. Yeah. I think I flew to Istanbul yeah. and then had to change to Antalya. And at Istanbul, it was just the time when the... Um, E the cards were um, the tickets were changing to, to um, computerized and I got held up and put back and I was thinking what on earth is happening here where, where am I going I'm going to miss, yeah. the, miss the plane or I, I, what's, am I arrested got, I then managed to get that connection got to Antalya at about two in the morning wow. and my luggage hadn't arrived. Oh. It had actually gone to another carousel, oh, goodness. but at two in the morning and I didn't know how I was going to get to the hotel. Yeah. Um, anyway, I managed to find, I've managed to find my luggage. And then just as I was thinking, oh gosh, how am I going to get to the hotel? I heard this, oh, top of the morning to you. And it was the Irish team <laughs> that had arrived. So Brilliant. it was wonderful. I tagged along with them and there was a, a bus waiting for us out of the airport Brilliant. to take us. But it, it's a mixture of absolute fear and but elation. What a, lovely, what a lovely thing to like break you out of that fear. <laughs> Top of the morning, you know, the yeah. Irish team are getting a smile back on yeah, your face. Yeah, they didn't so. do very well at the, uh, the actual team events, but they were great fun to be around. Brilliant. And the realities of being a travelling tennis player, eh? things like that happen. Um, but, I mean, if you think back to when you were a young girl playing on that court, when you were knocking on that mini court that you made yes, with yes. Wendy and you're hitting on a wall, the dream of playing for your country may have been there and you made it happen. <laughs> so, moving on to, to your coaching and your career, Jane, like at that early age, um, you were even when you were playing against the wall, you were thinking about your accessories. <laughs> and then Sue Barker said how incredibly well-dressed you are. 
you know, and then you kind of went into that as a career, did you? Yes, I did. I'd always been very keen on, on that as a hobby. I used to make dolls clothes and then all my my own clothes at the time. So as soon as I could leave school, I left and, and went to art college to do design and textiles and worked as a knitwear designer for Jaeger in my, this is in my other life for 12 years. Amazing. Amazing. So, were you design? So, what were you design? Were you designing actual garments, or was it the cloths, or what was it you were designing? I was the liaison, really, between the head designers of um, Jaeger, who worked at in London at Broadwick Street, and how we actually made took those designs and made them work at the factory where I was based. Wow. So, I would travel quite a lot to with with the designers, so that I got a very good idea of what the look was and how the knitwear tied in with the tailoring etc and then I have to come back to Sunny Belfer to sort of put those ideas into motion. I love it I like I love the fact that Sue Barker was right <laughs> when she said Jade you've got a talent for this she was absolutely right I think we need to put everyone in front of Sue give them a game of tennis with Sue and then she'll say well what you're oh, about you're you're good at innovation go on up you forget the tennis <laughs> oh I mean, you've, you've gone into your, your designing of clothes, textiles. Sounds a pretty amazing job. How did the coaching come about? That came about when I had the children. Years and years ago before I had them, I'd done a coach's um, award, but I'd never really used it because the, the, the little bit of free time that I had, I wanted to play tennis. I, and county tennis you know, took quite a lot of, t of my free time. Friendlies we had every Sunday um, during the summer terms and uh, county week, of course. And that was really all I had chance for. Um, I never really knew whether I would do any coaching or not. But it all started when I went into school answering a plea from the headmaster at our local primary school to say, has anybody got any skills that they could use? Please come and see me. Um, we want to incorporate them into um, the school. So I went in saying, do you know what? I could help a bit with the sport. I could do a little bit of any sport, but mainly tennis. So that's what I did on the Wednesday afternoon for sport. We had another parent who... Uh, came in to do hockey, a footballer, and I did tennis. And then I also then took the children across the road to the club, which was one court, and did some tennis with them. It progressed because lots of parents then asked me if I could do lessons with their children. They'd enjoyed the sessions and wanted to do more. So I then updated my coaching qualifications yeah. and thought... This could probably work well with the children. Do you know, do you, do you the know other it's like didn't. just one point, Jane, before we move, and we'll come on to it, but I think this is absolutely incredible that that teacher, that, that head teacher who has said, has anyone got any skills? If he had never said that, just yes. the, the range of players and incredible journeys that started at that primary school, which we'll come on to, might not have happened. Yes. And it's just exactly sometimes right. just asking the question. Yes. And she, uh, she encouraged us all to use our skills. She gave very gui strict guidelines that the children should be, how they should behave. But the actual... Um, incentive for us to go in and help with the sport was immense. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And lots of those children that came through at that time uh, played to a high level but also stayed in the sport. We've got people like 
um, Callum Loveridge that went off to America to, to yeah. coach. Tim Puttock, who went into uh, racket technology. Chris McPherson, who is now in Brazil and played hockey for the Olympics for Brazil, and as well as tennis to a very high level. So it's not always even just the players. It's their involvement in tennis that will yeah. give them a and lead to a, a career. Dom Dietrich, who uh, we had on the podcast, the exactly. commentator Dom. Oh, amazing. Exactly. I, I mean, it seems to me that those the early years at Church Broughton resulted in large numbers of juniors really starting a lifelong love affair with the game of tennis. What's the recipe, Jane? How did you make it happen? I think we tried to make it as fun as I could, but I also introduced competition quite early at a very low level we we had one court in the middle of the village and I organized little leagues for the children to play in so within a month they had to play probably four or five little matches against their own standard they had to record the score send it to me after the after each month the players would move up or down so very quickly got used to playing um competition without too much pressure and then those that that really liked it soon got picked up to play for the county or to give them information to play other tournaments i think it's a great point is that it, it wasn't pressurized but it was competition so then when it comes to move up if you decide to move up and uh, then you used to already competing yes that's right that's right mm. Um, then we almost outgrew that court. Um, there were so many children that were really interested in the club. And that was when that led to the next thing, which was to, well, we, we can't go any further here. We had setbacks with, we can't, we can't develop the club on the playing fields where it was. We, we looked at a place perhaps behind the school. Um, and then we were approached by the owner of the golf course to say that would we like to rent some land to build a club here so from that those few little lessons going into school suddenly we're looking at could we actually could we do that could we build a club i was surrounded by a very good committee at that time there was um shirley loveridge and um peter oborn who was yes. the chairman yeah. and it was him that said jane you know, we could go for this, but I, I'm not doing it if you don't. And I thought, I can't do this, really. But it's, it was almost, you almost felt compelled to, yeah. to try at least because of, of the number of children that were coming through. Yeah. Tom's career was also taking off then as a full-time player. So we had quite a lot of um, spotlight on the up-and-coming club because of that, which helped. Yeah. Um, so it was a package that, that sort of a roller coaster. Our county development officer, Phil Wilcock, at the time was was very supportive. Brilliant. Um, we had a um, our performance officer, Ashley, at the time also Brilliant. helped a lot. So there was the a lot of things. The power of collaboration, it isn't is, it? It is. It is that being with the right people at the right time, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, over the years, you've got amazing coaching experience for someone like myself who who who's starting out on the coaching journey a lot of coaches will listen to the podcast what's your advice for them you know um how can we make the most of our coaching journey what approach should we be taking oh that's a really difficult one i think it's probably to try and discover what their what the, the child's interest is but also what they want to do with their tennis 
we think as parents sometimes and coaches what they're capable of and what they would like but it's not always what the child would like mm. so first and foremost i think you've got to keep it good fun yeah i think you've got to introduce some sort of competition to realize that if they're going to play tennis that's you know that's what tennis is all about yes. so i do try to bring that into the coaching quite early on but that it's okay to not do well that not not to win every time yes so I think that's an important thing. Um, I haven't got an answer to it. Yeah, you know, I think it's a great answer, Jane. I think you know, and when if I think back to our corporate, the corporate world I worked in, you know, and there'd be an idea that was thrown in, let's do this, and it's always like, but what are we trying to achieve here? Why would we do that? Is it going to exactly. help us achieve what yes. we're going to achieve? And for the parents, knowing what that parent or that child wants to achieve is so important. And I've said it before on the podcast, but sometimes it's just. Get them away from the Xbox. Yes, it is. Get them away from that virtual world in which we're living. And that's perfectly okay to do. There are lots of children who are very capable of, of playing at a high level. But do you know what? They get most kicks out of coming and helping us hit with the little ones. Yeah. And that's fine too. Yeah. We Over the years, we've had a steady flow of young players who progress to be coaches or assistants and that's a great thing to have on their CV and, and I've seen their personalities develop immensely because of having that interest and then having the confidence of standing up and delivering instructions to children and, and being able to look after them. Yeah. I think the other thing probably to do with coaching is you have to really care about the people that you're coaching. Mm. And particularly I find that when I go away with teams, I've for many years been involved with the under 18 team and it's been wonderfully rewarding seeing them first of all start off probably at 9, 10, 11 and then seeing them over the years. I've probably been with them and the under 18 squads for three, four, five years and then I see them as senior players. I'm now seeing some of them move into the veterans league. Wow. And it is wonderful to think that you had a bit of a part of that. I love so that. that's very rewarding. I love that so much, Jane. I mean, I'm I'm captain in the under nines for the first time this year, and 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 I really hope I can see those players go through and continue their tennis yeah. journeys. And no matter what what they end up doing, you know, whatever yes. they end up doing, uh, yeah. seeing where they, where they go with the tennis. Well, I think I first went with the under eighteen team. Uh, obviously, my children were were playing. Um, but I went really because somebody dropped out and I stepped in yeah. and I was then, it was early on in my coaching um, career and I really liked it, I really enjoyed it and I thought, I'm actually not bad at this. Yeah. And we had a really good team at that time which went from a very low division and it went up, up for a lot of years so it, that, was, that was fun as well. So you've been a tennis player, a tennis coach, but you've also been a tennis parent to four children, all of whom have played county tennis, all are still playing regularly, three are coaches. What is the secret to your success as a tennis parent that's seen them all still loving the game? I don't think there is one solution. Sometimes I think it's that they see me enjoy playing. I once remember being in school when a headmaster said to me, one of the ways to get your children reading well is to see, it's for them to see you read well and enjoy reading. And I think that's probably the same philosophy. And there's a lot of things that you have to give up for your children to play sports or tennis particularly. 
But there was one thing I, I insisted on was to try and still play for the county, which meant that they might have to tag along at some mm -hmm. stage to watch me practice. Um, they might have to give up something to um, for me to, to go. And the rest of the year, they were more, I would prioritise their, their play and, and their situations. I think the other one is to make sure that the, the, the child that has the coaching or that you're actually doing the journey with is sorted. So you get them there, you drop them off and they, they have the, the necessary equipment or whatever they need. But if you've got other siblings that you're dragging along, don't make them feel as if that's happening. I've, I was very aware when Ben came along, the youngest son, he was nearly 10 years younger than um, Beth, the eldest. And a lot of the time he spent coming along to lessons, particularly with Tom, who had um, a lot of lessons up at Watchorn, a, a thriving club at the time. So we would go straight off after school. And one of the things that I made sure was that Tom was dropped off. He had all the necessary things, but Ben had a bike in the car where we could go and bike somewhere or he'd have his we'd do catch up with the school reading or we'd do something that was really important for him or we'd go and have a little hit of tennis at the side of, of Tom so he I hope felt that he was the child that was actually being um, had the uh, um, attention of whereas it was actually for Tom's benefit that we were yeah. going and I think sometimes I do see parents get that wrong that they insist on watching the child who is doing all the activity yeah. and the other sibling is almost being dragged along as a, as a sideline yeah. I don't know whether we got it right or not because my husband also had had the other two children to, to do the similar thing was but that was what we tried to do and they have all stayed in the game and they have all stayed together as a family and yeah. we still enjoy playing together at various sports it's worked hasn't it and i mean i mean all four children played at a relatively high level tom was number one in his age group as a junior you know played junior wimbledon he turned pro what was it like being a tennis parent on this performance journey um, that was a little bit more difficult as a junior I, I didn't really have many nerves watching any of the children because i think i could i wanted them to do well but i wanted them to do well rather than winning everything it became more difficult, I think, to probably watch Tom as, it, as he got older because it was then his profession. So wins and losses did mean more. So that was more difficult, but I did try to keep it in perspective. And actually at that time, I was, you were so busy with the other, with the other kids as well um, and working to, to provide all the money yeah. that, that was yeah, needed yeah. that um, you didn't have too much time to, to dwell on it. And I mean, parents-wise, again, we've got a lot of listeners to the podcast who are tennis parents. Any nuggets for them to help make that journey easier? I think one of the things that I would really recommend is to make sure that we, you work as a parent at making them responsible for their own journey, organising them so that they can organise their own equipment so that you're not the one that is forever having to get everything ready for them. There are obviously lots of things that you've got to organise, but to try and make sure that if they're the ones that are deciding to do this journey, then they're the one that takes responsible 
responsibility for it's themselves. Rafa Nadal talked about how, uh, Rafa Nadal's uncle, I think it was, talked about how Rafa always had to carry his own bag, didn't he? Yes. It's that kind of thing. Yes. I, and one of the things I remember particularly about Tom that that he and he he was the one that played um, professionally was he was very good at that. He was always ready on time to go. He always had his equipment with him. He always expected me to do the pack up. That was my my <laughs> part of the deal. But I don't remember ever saying, "Have you forgotten this? Have you forgotten that?" And, and often he would move. He was a good footballer as well. He would move from one sport to another. So had to frequently have to pack two lots of bags. And he never found it stressful. I remember when he went abroad went playing professionally, I'd said to him, one of the things I would find, Tom, and I'd still find now, is getting everything organised to go on a trip because he would be doing it every week. And he just by that age found that very simple because it had always been a part of his life. So that's one thing yeah. that is, I think, a good and uh, I'm sure he had a, a very good pack-up. I remember when we met Judy Murray up in Scotland, Becky and I, and she said, Becky, is your nan still making that flapjack? <laughs> uh, I'm sure he had a good pack-up. Well, speaking to Judy, though, um, I remember her doing some of the trips with the National Boys, and she made very light of it, saying that I don't have a great lot of coaching tips to organise with the, the boys but I just want to make sure that they get down to the laundrette so they've got clean stuff and that they've got all the food that they want and they want a bit of fun after they've played so her job really she she felt as, as a player um, coach as a player team captain and I, I agree with the same is that mainly you are a tennis parent to those kids with a bit of tennis knowledge, and it's that's the, the parental thing. bit first and foremost. Yeah, yeah, I know. Certainly, when like Stanley and I, we have a bit of a ritual after a tournament where we'll go for a hot apple pie at McDonald's and we'll have yes. a sing along in the car. And it's not something we've ever discussed, but yes. most tournaments we are singing along on the way home, and exactly. it's incredible. Yeah, I love those times. Well, on the county cup teams that I've been on, there is usually um, an anthem or a, a yeah. song that, that you can relate to that particular county cup that the girls would always sing in the coach or when they'd won a match. They're the times we remember exactly. as much as the playing, exactly. isn't it? Exactly. And some of them now come back years and years later saying, oh, this, this song reminds me of county cup, goodness knows when. Brilliant. So it's great memories, yes. Brilliant. Now, if you were put in, last couple of questions, Jane, put in charge of world tennis for one day, what initiative would you bring in? This is probably a little bit more on a serious note, is I think I would try to make it more uh, easy, or rather easier for the professional players at the lower end of the tour. There's enormous wealth and opportunities for the top end where they have Andy Murray, for instance, would have his own coach, his trainers, not just one, but two or three, nutritionalist, fitness yeah. coaches, whatever. When you are, I, would, I might be a bit out of touch now with the numbers, but when you are below at least 200 in the world, and 200 Amazing. is a fantastic number to be in. Yep. Relate that to a footballer yep. who is 200 in the world, would have everything yep. that money could buy. These players are travelling the world on their own quite often, scraping around to try and get sponsorship, organising their own flights, their own practice, 
their own hitting partners. It is really difficult. And the money that they would win, even if they win a tournament, yeah. unless they get into the main ATP tour, the lower rungs of that, that's probably 200, a ranking of 200 and under, you're really not making a living. No, it needs to change, doesn't it? It, it seems does. like it's um, it's a common thought across the game, and it will yeah. keep players in the game longest, Definitely. longer. And if you are number two hundred in the world in football, you earn a vast amount of money. We're not even asking for that enough money to be able to yes. sustain a career, exactly, as a player because of the work that you've put in. You are one of the best in your country exactly. at that level, aren't you? And so, there is is very much now a feeling that you don't peak as an adult player particularly yeah. in the men's world now until late 20s yeah. early 30s and if you look at the, t the top players at the moment of the Nadals and the Federer's um, Djokovic you know yeah. they're all what yeah. would be regarded almost as past it 10 years ago yeah. certainly when Tom was playing then it was almost thought of that if you weren't in the top 200 by the time you were 17, 18, 19, 20, yeah. you weren't going to make it. Yeah. And that's that meant that there were a lot of people in that era that fell off the cliff and probably gone into some sort of um, tennis career or coaching. But whatever happened, they were probably capable of getting an awful lot yeah. further as a player. Yeah. And that's, that's a shame. Let's hope someone somewhere is listening. Let's hope that there can be collaboration like we talked about to get this... Yes. To, to make that change. Last one, Jane. If you go for a drink with anyone alive <laughs> or dead, who would it be and why? Well, I looking back, I would really like to have gone for a drink with Billy Connolly oh. in his heyday. Sadly, now he's suffering from Parkinson's yeah. disease. But even now, when he's interviewed, he's so much sharper and funnier yeah. than I could be. He, I just admired the way, I read his autobiography, I really admired the way that he was brought up in the roughest area of Glasgow with very little education. He had, um, his mother abandoned him, he was abused. He, wow. um, and just had such, he still had a very intelligent mind to look at artistic things as well as humour. Yeah. And I had, I loved the way that he did the travel series where he yeah. would travel around sometimes on his big motorbike to various parts of, it was initially Scotland and then it went worldwide. And he would be able to do a stand-up comedian's performance on what he'd experienced that day. So he just seemed so ad-lib and, and yeah. funny. So I think that would have been it. What a great choice. But at the moment, Rob, I'd be really happy to go with any of my yeah. mates, to be honest. Come on, that's what we need, isn't it? it? Is, Get back right. together. Let's hope, let's hope there's yeah. a bit of normality coming back. But Jane, it's been brilliant to chat. I've absolutely loved it. Thank you Th very much, uh, Rob. Thank you so much for your time. Thoroughly enjoyable. Thank you.